Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Den, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges in the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Now, everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfished, con, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationship can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, troubled finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are experts in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550 and our official website is metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have for our first episode of Season 4, a very special guest and listening expert and teacher, Doug Noel. And just like my previous episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Doug, the floor is yours. Thanks, Dr. Dan. Well, my name, as you said, is Doug Knoll. I'm a lawyer turned peacemaker, um, but my particular skill is in teaching people how to listen others into existence. And we do this by learning how to ignore the words, listen to the emotions, and reflect the emotions back. And if you're in the dating scene, or you're married, or in a committed relationship, or in any kind of dating relationship, and you want to build instant intimacy, loyalty, and trust, I've got the tools to show you how to do it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for being a part of our show. And I'm sure that your expertise and insight will definitely be able to benefit our listeners. So I know, and I'm sure that you're aware that a lot of people have been taught how to do what we call reflective listening. But um, in your case here, when we're talking about more the emotional aspect of it, which means not just the words that are being exchanged, but more the body language. And this is how you're teaching people how to listen better? I teach people how to listen to emotions. Emotions are like, emotions are data, just like numbers on a spreadsheet. We live in a culture, however, that, that um, thinks that emotions are weak or they're evil or they're irrational or they're bad or you can be exploited. And so we're taught from a very young age that we shouldn't pay attention to emotions. And yet neuroscience it has established in the last 20 years that we're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and so this whole myth of rationality uh, is just that. It's a myth. I teach a, cl- a graduate class called Dis- Decision-Making Under Stress and Conflict. And one of the first concepts I have my students wrestle with is what is rationality? And it turns out there is no definition of rationality. It's a word we have in the English language, but it doesn't. it, it, it has no definition. So what does it mean to be rational? And no one knows. <laughs> it's just so, a word that's out there. So if you look, we can say, would you see the definition of rational? Or it doesn't there, there is no definition of rational. Okay. There really isn't. I mean, you can say that because every definition that you come up with has has some fatal flaws about it that 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 um make the definition nonsensical. Okay. The term the term rational thinking originate well, it of course it originated with the Greeks. Uh, back 4,000 years ago. 
but in, in more modern times, there was a a um, Oscar uh, John von Neumann and Oscar Morgenstern, very famous economists and thinkers, back in 1946, developed an economic model of the rational man, and they said a person is economically rational when they when they when they are consistent with these four basic principles. But the problem with their model is that it it does not conform to human behavior at all, and uh, it was only used as a way of modeling economic thinking and behavior, but was never it was never intended to replicate how humans actually make decisions, and and so that's the only real definition of rationality that's out there, and and it's a it's a highly um, esoteric definition that doesn't apply to human how humans make decisions at all. So all of our decisions are emotional and especially everything we do around relationships, either dating or relationships or committed relationships or marriage. It's all, it's all emotional. And so our, our trick is, you know, the skill or the skill we have to master is how do we master our emotions and how do we learn how to listen to another person into existence? So what is the answer to that? <laughs> the answer to that is it's very simple. It's a three-step process. Okay. Um, ignore the words. Read the emotions, which is very easy to do. Our brains are hardwired for that. We just have to pay attention. And then reflect back the emotions with a simple you statement. No I statements, no asking questions. Okay. Just a simple you statement. There's a famous video on the YouTube, uh, Doug, about the nail in the head. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about the nail. Mm -hmm. It's not about the nail, exactly. So I use that in my lectures, right. But when women are expressing themselves and their husband or significant other are listening, I mean, they have to listen to something, something tangible, something that is logical based on what the woman is actually trying to convey to this person. So the, it's actually words, not necessarily the emotion part, because the men have to kind of like reflect back by paraphrasing, yes, I understood what you meant. It's not, I understood your feelings or your emotion, I understood the word that came out of your mouth. So isn't that contradictory? No. In fact, in fact, you there are brain scanning studies that show that when you reflect back somebody's emotions using a you statement, not an I statement, that the emotional centers of the brain are inhibited and at the same time the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex is activated, effectively de-escalating strong emotions. And and what happens to the to the speaker that you're reflecting to, they have a sense of deep gratitude, validation and even euphoria. Uh, and so imagine, this is what I tell people when they're, when they need dating advice, I say, you're going out on a first date, never, don't talk about yourself, <laughs> listen to your date and reflect back his or her emotions. What are they experiencing? They're going to tell you a story, a little story about themselves. It might be silly. It might be, you know, it might be, have some meaningful stuff to it, but, but all you, all you want to do in the first three or four minutes it just is it just reflect emotions and the, and the, and you do this in a very specific way okay. uh, emotions come in layers and so there are six i i identified as six basic layers of emotions they can either be there can be on the positive side or the negative side but the negative side is where i work because i'm a peacemaker um those layers include or start with anger and then go to uh disrespect uh, after disrespect, there's fear, anxiety, and then shame, humiliation, and then sadness, and then abandonment. 
And basically, if somebody's really upset, you would say something. I could say something like, hey, damn, man, you are really pissed off. You feel completely disrespected. Nobody's listening to you. You're completely ignored. You're completely unappreciated. And, and it's making you worried. You're anxious about all of this. Really concerned. Okay. And you feel a little embarrassment because you haven't been able to manage this so well. And you're sad because you're losing connection. And it's, this is all very, very upsetting. And at the end of the day, you feel completely abandoned and rejected and unloved. Okay. That would be the way that you would label somebody who's upset or angry. If somebody's really happy, you would say something, wow, you're, you're really happy and excited. And you look, you look really self-satisfied and you're really proud of yourself. And you're kind of in awe of your life right now and what's going on. And you're just totally, totally jacked up about everything that's happening in front of you. And so again, I just reflected the happy emotions. And when you do this, this is such an unusual thing for people to experience. The, the speaker, your date, will feel for the first time in his or her life, emotional safety. They will actually have the experience of feeling emotionally safe with you. And guess what happens when people feel emotionally safe? They create a bond. They create a That's right. Rapport. Yeah. And there's that intimacy is built and trust is built and loyalty is built. And uh, it's a phenomenal experience. And you can take somebody who's a perfect stranger and turn them into your new best friend in literally three or four minutes. And people will never forget the conversation with you because they have experienced this emotional validation and this emotional safety. Yes. The most powerful foundational tool that anybody can learn that is interested in, in relationships. So when you have interaction between someone who just goes on the first date, and as we see, like a lot of people say, so what's your past history with, uh, you know, did you break up? When did you break up? What was your past relationship, et cetera? Some people have the tendency to say, oh, my God, she cheated on me or she did this or whatever it is. It was just a disaster. So the other person, the listener should say, I could I could feel how angry you are because this is what she did. Or but aren't you bringing back negativity from? The no, you're validating you're validating emotions and actually releasing them. If the if the if the person is giving you a history and it's really negative, there, there's an emotional charge there. Okay. That hasn't been released. And what you do by validating the emotions is you give them, give the person a way to process the emotions that they've never had before. And they actually, it's actually therapeutic. Um, the other thing you do is you never, ever, ever use an I statement. Never use an I statement. You use an I statement when you're talking about yourself. I feel angry. I'm happy, whatever. When I'm talking to your emotions, all I'm going to say you, 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 you. Okay. But the big mistake that's taught and it's all based on a misperception of the work of Thomas Gordon in the 1950s, is people say stuff like, what I hear you saying is, or what I think you're feeling is, or what I heard you say was, totally wrong. It doesn't work. It shuts people down. And especially if they're angry or upset, it pisses them off. So never, ever, ever use an I statement when you're reflecting back to somebody else. Always use a you statement. You are angry. But, then, but then it says, I acknowledge or I understand because then, but then it feels like you're just pointing finger at them. You and you is kind of like that, I. That, that is not how it people perceive it. It, it, it. I know it sounds very weird to do this, <laughs> but I've I've trained tens of thousands of people how to do this from places as dark as maximum security prisons, training murderers to be peacemakers, to senior analysts in the Congressional Budget Office how to de-escalate members of Congress. Okay, and every single one of them 
learned that when you use a use statement, you're far more powerful than when you use an I statement. The reason that we use an I statement is because we're self-soothing our own anxiety. We're trying to create distance from the other person. It's a passive voice. We're creating distance. And, and what you really want is you don't want to, you don't want to create distance. You want to create intimacy. You want to create closeness. So you use a use statement to do a direct active voice. You, instead of the, the indirect passive voice, I, what I hear you saying is, or what I see is that's, that's creating distance. And I think you're, I mean, you can tell me you're the, you're the psychologist. I mean, in the therapeutic world, I think there is some, <clears throat> there's always been a thought that the clinician or therapist has to create distance from the patient. And maybe that's how people, why people started using I statements. But if you really want to create a connection, you've got to use a you statement. But you see the, in, in um, NLP, which I studied as well, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I know what it is. Uh, it's uh, very much a lot like um, more of a subjective approach to experiences that people have their own in their own life versus objective. And for people to learn, they have to experience in their own world, in their own perception. And this is what makes them feel the world around them the, through their five neurological senses. Now, the thing is, is that when you do the you part, okay, in which, you know, like I said, in many psychology books, especially between relationship with patient and therapist, um, it's the, the, the therapists have to learn to listen carefully and then acknowledge what, and this is what psychotherapy, talk therapy is all about. Mm -hmm. The person or the patient will talk and the therapist will acknowledge their, uh, you know, their feelings or their worries, concern, traumatic experience, and then will give their point of view. So then said, I feel how you are feeling. So it's like, I first, because I understand, I validate your emotion for what you are telling me. So then again, it's this is in a way to build rapport because I did use the I, but also the you statement in that same sentence. Wrong. All that teaching is wrong. There's no brain science to support it. There's not one neuroimaging study that shows that when you use that kind of phrasing, you actually have a positive effect on the brain. The only neuroscience brain scanning studies that exist show that when you use a you statement, when you're telling people directly what they're feeling, that's when we get the magical effect in the brain. I don't know why that is, but that's the way the brain is hardwired. And I know that there's been a hundred years or so of teaching in, in the psychotherapy world based on these I statements that do, it doesn't work. I think a lot of it goes back to Carl Rogers, uh, you know, the, the very famous mid 20th century humanist psychologist. And he was not a scholar or a researcher. He was just a therapist. He wrote a lot of beautiful books. But I think people looked at his work and misunderstood what he was doing and tried to copy what he was doing. And that's how the, and then Thomas Gordon, who was one of his students, took it up. And this whole I statement thing got injected into the therapeutic world when there's no science to support that it works. None, zero. Not one brain scanning study has been done that shows that using that kind of formulation works. Whereas the brain scanning studies show that when you use a use statement, it works. So it's it's based on hard science. The problem is it's all that what, what we're learning in neuroscience is that our brains were completely counterintuitive. It's con, con, counterintuitive and counternormative to everything we think we know about listening. Hmm. So but, it, but it works. But then what don't they in school try to reformat the what was taught for the past 20 or 100 years and say you know what the i statement no longer work now we're going to focus on the you statement yeah oh, let's do it. let's do it based on science not based on practice okay 
that's that's the key. And so how does this relate to, to people who are listening, you know, about dating? So when you really want to listen to somebody, don't use don't use you know that active listening doesn't work, never has worked, never will work. NBC doesn't work, never nonviolent communication, never has worked, never will work. It, I mean, they're just it's just stupid. And of course, none of it's based on science. Mm -hmm. Try this. Just use a you statement. So if you, if and and you don't want to reflect back in a in a dating situation, you don't want to reflect back what somebody said. You don't want to paraphrase because that's just that's just inappropriate in a dating relationship. But what you do want to do is reflect back the emotional experience of the speaker very gently and gracefully. Huh. So, for example, the, the example you were starting with. So you ask the question, well, tell me about your past experience with dating. And she said, well, my last guy it was just a total disaster. And then you would say something like, yeah, you're still pretty angry about it and frustrated. And you felt completely disrespected and insulted and completely unappreciated. Yeah. And, you know, you were worried and concerned because you thought it might have been about yourself, but it was really about the other person. Yeah. And the whole thing just made you really sad because you were deeply seeking connection. Yeah. And you felt completely abandoned and unloved. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You get it. Do you have to follow certain words? Like the abandon is the last part. Is there like you you, okay. You want to be careful about that because the deeper you go, obviously, I mean, the first three layers are always safe. Um, anger, disrespect and fear. You can always go there. When you start going below that, you go into shame, humiliation, guilt, and embarrassment, and then you go into sadness and abandonment. That's getting deep. And so you have to you have to use discernment about how deep you want to go with that. Okay. And the more the, the the better you get to know somebody, of course, the deeper you can go. But maybe on a first date you wouldn't do that. You would just go the go through the first three layers and and reflect the emotions that are in those three layers and just stop there. Here's the other thing that you've got to realize is your date may have a lot of emotional charge around a past ex dating experience and not even know what emotions are being experienced, not to know what emotions are locked in there. So you can actually name emotions that they haven't even named because you'll sense it. You'll say, oh, I, what I sense here is a lot of anxiety or fear, or what I sense here is a, just a profound sense of disrespect and not being heard, not being appreciated. And they they won't give you an indication that that's the, those are the emotions they're experiencing. But if you pick it up, reflect it, because they'll say, yeah, that's right. I didn't even realize that. But yeah, I felt deeply disrespected in that relationship. But then you just said I right now a few minutes ago. That's No, that was the speaker replaying. Okay. Okay, the, okay. the speaker would respond by saying, yeah, I felt really disrespected. And you say, yeah, you felt really disrespected and unappreciated and ignored. Yeah, I did. And that's how the conversation goes back and forth. So, and you only have to do this for a few minutes and you build an instant bond. Powerful. So when, when let's say you just said a few minutes ago where they didn't experience or they didn't think about the experience that they had and you bring it up. Um, right. Is it then when you start coming up with the I statement or you still focus only, you felt disrespected? That's right. That's right. And you don't ask questions. Okay. Now, you, now, now if you're wrong... Which is very rare because your bra our brains are so good. Once we start doing this, we're so good at picking up other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. Very efficient. This is all due to evolutionary biology. But when when we, if you're wrong, for example, supposing I say, "So, Dan, you're really pissed off." And you say, "No, I'm not pissed off. I'm frustrated." I said, "Oh, Dan, yeah, you're really frustrated. You're upset. You feel like you're being ignored and unappreciated, and and this is very worrisome to you." Yeah. And, said, and you're really, really pissed off and angry. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I cycled back because they couldn't process the anger, but they could process the frustration. So I start there. So if they say, no, I'm not that, I'm this, then I just simply reflect back what it is they gave me and, and work through a couple of other layers and then come back to the anger because the anger is really there and it needs to be, it needs to be validated. And does that work, this strategy works in every situation to de-escalate de the, the tension or have, there would be some other kind of variation behind it nope. where you're going to have to reinvent? Nope, nope. You need, you need a working vocabulary of about 20 words in English to make this work. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's I, I guess, most of the American people are then. <laughs> you don't need a huge vocabulary. Obviously, the more the more emotional words you have, the better off you are. But but you but I've distilled this down to about 20 words that if you just get these words in the right order, um, you can you can always calm somebody down who's upset or you can make somebody feel really validated. The other thing to think about is what happens what happens in relationships when one person is upset over something. And the other person says, get over it. Don't be a drama queen. Stop crying. But I do listen to you. I mean, I've got a, I've got five pages of statements like that. These are called emotionally invalidating statements. And it starts in early childhood. We're emotionally invalidated from the time we're about two years old um, by our parents. It's the most insidious, abusive uh, it's the most ins insidious and pervasive form of emotional abuse that exists. Everybody does it. It's completely unconscious. And yet all the studies show that you're destroying a child's brain when you do that. Um, and by the time a child is six or seven years old, they shut down. They become emotionally unavailable. They become emotionally defensive because they finally recognize they live in an emotionally unsafe environment, even in the most loving families. And so, and they stop. This is based on the work of Gordon Newfeld, who's a developmental psychologist out of Vancouver, British Columbia. They, the, their emotional maturation process is blocked. Mm -hmm. And so they spend the rest of their time building up all these big defenses and edifices, psychological edifices around them to make them look competent. But then they get into a, they get into their first intimate relationships in their teen years. And all of a sudden, they have no idea how to be vulnerable. They have no idea how to be emotionally available. They have no idea how to listen to or express their own emotions or the emotions of other people and their relationships crash. And actually, actually they get into adulthood in the same, and this is the work that you do. You pick up all the pieces, their, their relationships crash. And this is what, this is the, in my view, as a peacemaker and mediator, this is the fundamental cause of most relationship failures mm -hmm. is the lack of emotional validation starting in childhood which leads to all kinds of abuse, you know, and, and later behaviors that are really negative behaviors on life. But then, um, Doug, what, okay, let me put you in a scenario where if let's say this is after a while people are dating, they're together, and then the guy does something wrong, and then the woman feels insulted, embarrassed, abandoned, and everything that you mentioned. Right. So he becomes the cause, and he's now becoming the internal problem of right. Relationship. It's not something external. Where I got it. Mm -hmm. So how, then they're going to feel accused about everything. You did this to me. You did that to me. Whatever it is, how to respond? So you respond. The first thing you do is you put yourself into a Buddha bubble where you're going to be non-reactive, non-critical, and non-judgmental. You're not going to defend yourself. All you're going to do is, if there's a guy who's, let's just take a guy who's talking to his girlfriend. You say you're really upset. You're really frustrated. You feel betrayed. You feel completely unappreciated and unsupported you, and, and you feel completely ignored and you're sad. 
and you're worried. And you just keep doing that until she drops her shoulders, sighs. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, but because of you. <laughs> okay, that's just the first step. Okay. <laughs> the second step then, now you can move into problem solving. The, the, just like you said in that clip, the, it's not about the nail. The problem that most men and women make, the big mistake they make is they go to problem solving way, way too early. Okay. So you need to de-escalate first, then problem solve. And the problem solving will be, then you can offer an apology. You got her de-escalated. She said, yes, that's exactly how I feel. I said, well, you know, you have every right to feel that way because I really screwed up. I betray you. You know, I did, I, I ignored you. I disrespected you. And I am, I feel I'm humiliated by what I did. And I feel embarrassed. And I am really, really, really sorry. What can I do to make things right? And so then it's, it gets to the I, because now because I'm I, talking about myself. Yes. Okay. That's, that that makes more sense. Okay. So the I statement is appropriate when I'm talking about myself. So the, so what you do is you're going to, the first step is to get the other person to calm down by reflecting their emotions. Then if apology is appropriate, take personal accountability, take personal responsibility, apologize and ask the question, what can I do to make things right between us? What do we need to do to make, what do I need to do to make things right between us? Okay. And then that's an offer to that's that opens up an offer to negotiate, you know, relationship negotiation. So how does how do you make things right when there's been a wrong? Is there any we statement anywhere? No. Okay. Even if now both of you are trying to find a solution to the problem, now it becomes okay. Okay. Well, uh, that that can morph into the discussion. What what can I do to make things right? Sometimes both parties are at fault. Correct. Then you can say, what can we do to make things right? Okay. In in the example you gave, I'm, I made the assumption that it was a unilateral error. So that what can I do to make things right? But if both sides are involved in the in the problem, then said, let's talk about what we can do for each other to make things as right as possible. Beautiful. Wow. And okay. then and then if somebody gets escalated during that talk, which sometimes happens, then you just go back into the de-escalation, calm them down, and then come back to the talk about. How do we make things as right as possible between the two of us? And then, the, of course, the secret is for the for in the situation you gave is the guy made a mistake. He can one number one, he can never make that mistake again. <laughs> not going to be trust there for a long time. So he's got to rebuild trust because it's been shattered. Trust is nothing more than the amount of risk we're willing to take to be betrayed. So low levels of trust, low low tolerance for risk of betrayal. Okay. High levels of trust, high tolerance for the risk of betrayal. It's all about betrayal. And so you betrayed. So now there's no, there is zero trust. And the only way that trust is rebuilt is by the woman taking small risks over and over again, and the guy being completely credible and integrity and not betraying anything. And over a period of time, the risk, you know, the risk factor rises and the trust rises. Okay, so now just to be able to have something where our listeners can take home and put into practice, um, if you could just quickly remind, because we're soon to be ending this podcast, the five top processes, like the words that they use, they have to use the three top one and the one that has to go below, which go deeper right. into the okay. conversation. So remember the formulas, ignore the words, 
read the emotions, reflect back the emotions with the use statement. You're going to look, there are six layers of emotions on, that you're going to be looking at. at the top one's going to be anger. So we'd be anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, rage, whatever it might be. Next layer is going to be disrespect. Disrespect, being ignored, being treated unfairly, unappreciated, unsupported, not being heard. Next layer, fear emotions, fear, anxiety, worry, concern. Next layer, shame, humiliation, guilt, and embarrassment. Fifth layer, sadness, grief, upset, distress, depressed, unhappy. Last layer, sixth layer, abandonment, feeling abandoned, unloved, rejected, and feeling completely unlovable. Those are the six layers. You start with the layer that presents. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's feeling disrespected. You start there, and you just and you just move from layer to layer as you as as you sense the person speaking. Um, the way to practice this in the beginning, I I have courses that <laughs> you can learn to do this. But the way to practice this is to start with that one happy emotion. You're really happy. Go to Starbucks. When you hand your credit card to the barista, say you're really you're really happy, and watch what happens. And what you're going to see is they're going to light up like a Christmas tree. They're going to smile and they're going to start talking your head off. You just validated them. You you made their whole day by just saying you're happy. Go to the supermarket at the checkout. They're typically not so happy. So you're really stressed and tired today. Mm -hmm. Restaurant server could be either happy or stressed and tired. Just say you're either, hey, you look really happy today. You're having a great shift. Or you are, you're looking a little stressed and tired and anxious. You'll get the best service you've ever had in your life. And practice in these low-risk situations where if you make a mistake, you're not going to embarrass yourself. Total strangers, one-word uh, reflections, and it's simple. That's how you practice it. So how can our listeners find you, Doug? My website is dougnoll.com, Dougnoll N-O-L-L. But also I created a webpage for, just for everybody who's listening right now, and that is dougnoll.co slash love-gurus. And that page has all kinds of resources, a free ebook, a copy of my fourth book, Deescalate, some of my online video courses, and links to some of the other things that I can do to help you become effective at listening another person into existence, which is the most powerful aphrodisiac that exists. Beautiful. Well, Doug, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us and share your extensive knowledge in the field of listening, dating, and relationship. The many recommendations you share to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season four of the Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Dent podcast filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listened today. My name is Dr. Dan Emzalek, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.